Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time for this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I've uh, I've been following you guys for a while now, since I guess probably since the beginning, and I feel like you guys have been kind of bubbling for a while, definitely, you know, building and building, but I feel like it was maybe about a year ago that you guys really leveled up. Maybe it seemed, I think maybe when Dark Bloom came out, um, am I right that that was kind of like the inflection point for the band or was there something else? Yeah, I think... Um that sort of saw the band appealing more to a wider audience on the metalcore side, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point on the deathcore side, um, people really enjoyed our album Lifeblood, but it didn't slightly it didn't it didn't resonate as much with uh, other metal fans. I'd I'd say, but Reddit loved uh, you say, from the beginning, but it was like new people that started to discover the band. Yeah, uh, and that was that was awesome to do that collaboration. I think it really helped, and uh, definitely want to do more stuff in that vein and even with other genres too well how did that come together i thought it was pretty cool that they you know wanted to do a more aggressive version of that song it's like nobody does that yeah most people kind of like strip things down and do like an acoustic version right. or something um uh, yeah um i mean their manager at the time um was still their manager jason now our manager um okay. this was before we started working together but uh had sort of made that suggestion to maybe have me feature on the tune. And then we kind of took it a step further and added our production flair to the mix as well and kind of made it a whole new song instead of just having like a guest vocal, which a lot of bands kind of do. They just recycle the same song with a guest vocal. Yeah, well, you mentioned sort of metalcore versus deathcore, which, you know, to normal people, those are the same thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously people in our world know that that they're not. Um, so are, are are you really kind of trying to to broaden outside of just deathcore or how do you think about that definitely uh i just want to be people's favorite metal band i don't really care if it's on the deathcore side metalcore side or you know like um big festival metal show goers you know uh, or even old school fans that's a little tougher sell i think especially yep. if you have breakdowns but uh, yep. i think you know I I think ultimately I'd like to be the band that you're a kid in high school, you discover metal, you want something heavier, and then you find my band and we're kind of like a gateway. I think I'd be happy with being that band. And that's an awesome place to be. That's where, you know, the first generation of bands, Suicide Silence and Whitechapel and Carnifex and, you know, all that stuff, that's what they were. And everybody, yeah. you know, loves them. Definitely. And, you know, we we look up to bands like that too. It's awesome. They're also paying attention to the the newer uh, deathcore and metalcore bands too. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. Like that, that, that's kind of a new thing that hasn't happened in the past. Like in the past, it's sort of like the older generation of bands either ignored or disliked the newer generation in pretty much every genre. And I, and I feel like with deathcore, that's not really the case at all. I think you're right. Uh, I think there's, uh, definitely an embrace happening. Um, 
you know, like guys like Chris Garza has his podcast. He's bringing all the new blood on. Yep. And uh, they brought out all the new blood on tour and had uh, vocalists from all the bands on the, I think it was the Chaos and Carnage tour, do like a bunch of different Suicide Sound songs, which, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, I, I love him and I love his attitude. He's such a great guy. And and it's good for Suicide Silence too, because I mean, the last thing you want to be is like the dusty old head you know, <laughs> telling all the kids that their favorite band sucks. It's like, fuck you. I like this. Yeah, that's not the way to go for sure. No. Um, another interesting thing you did, um, you just did that song with Harper, which for anybody who doesn't know is the girl that covered Spirit Box on America's Got Talent, kind of went a little bit viral, which I thought it was super cool that you did that. She's super talented. How did that happen? Um, well, they often look, their team often looks for songwriters and, uh, my guitar player, Leo, he handles all the production and mixing and songwriting for brand of sacrifice. And, uh, he was approached and asked to do a song. Um, originally the first song that Harper did was done by Chris Wiseman of shadow of a tent and currents. And, uh, they wanted to go for something a little more aggressive. And, uh, that's kind of how it came about. And, uh, we added some of that a little bit of brand of sacrifice flair with the production and a couple of the electronic elements, but that's, that's pretty much how it uh, came to be. And I think it might be perhaps an ongoing thing. We'll see. Okay. I mean, what a, like, that's just super cool that, you know, like talk about the, like the younger generation was she like 12 or 13 now? Yeah, that's uh, I think it's awesome, honestly. And uh, it's really cool because it it's in the mainstream, mm-hmm. which is what we need more of. And really quick, before we go any further, have you checked out my Patreon? Patrons get early access to all my main channel videos and my podcasts. I also do giveaways sometimes. For example, I just gave away a pair of these Eargasm earplugs. And if you want me to review your music, there's a way to do that as well. All you gotta do is join at the $10 and up level, then every month I do a call for submissions. If you want me to review something, all you gotta do is drop it in the comments of that post, then I will review it live on Twitch and post it on Patreon for everyone to see. So if that sounds cool, hit the link in the description of this video and I appreciate your support. I've always said that for our genre, it's tough to break into the pop culture. Yep. That's sort of the difference between this generation and maybe like the past scene emo kid days. Exactly. Where, where there is like characters in the scene that you wanted to be like. Yeah, uh, we need we need that again, and we need to spill into the mainstream a little more. And it's kind of happened with hip hop. I've heard you mention that in the past on other podcasts, but uh, I think we need that more with really heavy music too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you had like I mean, Mitch Lucker, rest in peace. He was he was that, and I I think it's like it's not a coincidence that that was when deathcore blew up. You know, you need people like that. You need these kind of like mainstream crossovers because like how else if you have to go on Reddit to find this stuff, not that many people are going to do that, you know? No, it's it's easier to just, you know, see something that catches your eye here on Spotify now these days. Yeah. And uh, I think people really like that human connection and they want to look up to somebody mm-hmm. that the sort of the rock star age is, is back maybe in the, in the pop and hip hop world, the way people act and dress and portray themselves. Yep. Um, so I think we need to follow suit and sort of be characters that you'd want to select in a video game or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, look at New Metal. That's I, They all look like they were out of Mortal Kombat or something, yeah. you know? 
And if you're 12 years old, you're like, what the fuck is this? That looks awesome. You know, they look like pro wrestlers or something. I think we need to end just wearing the regular band shirts on stage in the gym shorts. I think that's yep. got to be retired for good. No more wanna... grungy warehouse videos. I mean, I get it, but it's it's frustrating to me because I feel like the culture now in metal is almost like, you know, it's frowned upon to be different. And I I don't understand that. I think people can say what they want to say. The The proof is in the numbers and the proof is in what's being talked about. Yep. Um, and you can see people in an echo chamber like Reddit typing whatever they want to type. But at the end of the day, if the band has two, three million monthly listeners on Spotify and are selling out shows, that's really what matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to your point earlier, I think people want a story also. I mean, that's such a huge part of rap is, yeah. you know, their music is one thing, but like half the reason that you pay attention to a rapper is because of who they are and where they came from. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, I think it goes back to the human connection. Um, yeah. you know, struggle is something that we can connect with. You know, a lot of the story of hip hop is rags to riches. Yep. And, um, it's, I feel like in hardcore and metal, it's more about a community than it is an individual sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think we can sort of flip that narrative a little bit and uh, have that connection somehow. I feel like, like you said, Mitch kind of had that with the, with his presence and his uh, the way he talked in interviews and, and acted. And he was charismatic. Super uh, charismatic. Everyone loved him. I've never heard I, anybody say a bad thing about him in 15 years, ever. And that that's amazing. Like, um i was making a joke i was uh chatting with nick on his stream nick nocturnal yeah and uh i was making a joke that uh the scene needs a new villain i think we got like <laughs> we got like a nice guy in true like will ramos uh -huh. from Lorna Shore. and we need a, we need a villain we need a real demon out there mm, i like it maybe uh well i mean we we had mgk but i feel like he hasn't he hasn't done anything mgk in a while which i'm upset about because anytime he does something i i, I get lots of views we need, you're right. We need, need another villain. We can't just rely on MGK. I think he's going back to rap again, too. He did that uh, freestyle calling out, yeah. uh, what's his Jack name? Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow, yeah. It was yeah. pretty good, actually. Yeah, I think he's a good rapper. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, whatever. You can think what you want about his personality, but he's, he's a good rapper. He is. Great tone, great bars. I can't yeah. say anything against him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's a talented guy. Um, I just, uh, you know, he probably has some anger management issues. Maybe it, for his sake, it might be good for him <laughs> to choose his words a little bit more carefully. But, you know, whatever. But that's also, you know, but what the fuck do I know? You know, I mean, that's the reason, part of the reason why he has two Billboard number one albums and I'm just some fucking guy recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think there's definitely some method to the madness, but you're probably right. There's probably some things that spill over the line a little bit that's uh, related to anger, perhaps. But yeah, um, well, to, to your point, though, I mean, if you look at rap, I mean, two people that come to mind to, or, or one person really that comes to mind to me is like Playboy Cardi, you know, super influential, super larger than life. He looks wild and young thug same thing you know we don't have anything like that in metal right now really you know these like larger than life like creative visionaries that like you said look like video game characters yeah and and i think the other thing too visually is defining characteristics yeah um you know 
Fred Durst had his red hat and the mm-hmm. the puffer vest, you know, um, Slipknot, there's the masks. Yeah. I think we need some more defining characteristics in, in the visuals. Like, like I said, you got to be able to select the guy in a video game, know his silhouette, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> know who that is. Like, you know who the jump man is, you know, who Michael Jordan looks like, you know, that's right. I, I like choose, that. I choose Frankie Palmieri every time. That's my guy. Yeah. He's got to come back. Where's he at? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I talked to him a little bit on Twitter and uh, last I heard he was living in Portland. I don't, I don't know, but he's got to come back. Big fan. Um, well, speaking of the visuals, one of the things that I think is really interesting kind of stands out with Brand of Sacrifice is all the, you know, anime and manga kind of stuff. For anybody who doesn't know, the name of the band is a reference to the manga Berser- Berserk. Uh, you also covered the Attack on Titan theme song with Nook Nocturnal. And, and that's interesting to me because it feels like it's really just like the past few years where gaming and anime and manga have started to sort of overlap with metal. Yeah. Um, like when I discovered manga back in the early 90s, there was like zero, like nobody knew about both of those things. Um, where did that come from for you guys? Because I feel like that's a thing. So this project was originally just something for fun. Um, at the time... We were both working in tech, Leo and myself, or my guitar player, and we read all this, the music. Um, and we were just hating our jobs at the time. And we were like, you know, let's write something really fun and really heavy. Um, and uh, I just wanted to make like a, a themed EP and call it a, call it that. And uh, we just made the our EP called The Interstice. And just thought it would be, you know, like a throwaway kind of thing. And it started with that. And then just we just continued with it. And uh, I think now it's going to be more my personal story lyrically, but um, still have that the overtones and the, the visuals that are tied in with that. Because that's something I love. I've always have yeah. loved it. When I grew up with uh, manga and anime, it wasn't very cool. Right. But now, now it's cool. People enjoy Isn't it. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so it's really weird. You get made fun of if you like watch too much anime as a kid. I feel like when I was growing if up, if you even but... knew what anime was when I was a kid, you were like a school shooter, <laughs> you know. And now it's like I see relatively normal people wearing like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure shirts at the mall. I'm like, what planet am I on? Yeah, it's really it's in the mainstream. It's in the pop culture, and especially in hip hop too. Yeah, uh, right, a lot of right. Rappers. Yeah, Megan The Stallion talking about Naruto. Um, I can think of like uh, there's another yeah, there's a song has... called Chun Li. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who sings that? Uh, Nikki. Yeah, and Lil Uzi Vert has tons of anime references and stuff. I mean, to your point earlier, I feel like that's you know one of these kind of trademarked. I don't, I don't. I'm gonna use the word gimmick, but that sounds like a bad thing, and I don't mean it as a bad thing. But even if someone can just be like, oh, that's the anime band, like that's a good thing. It's something it for them thing. to like latch onto and, you know, and, and tie to your band to set you apart from, you know, the breakdown band, which is everybody. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's a good thing. Any, any way that people can connect and remember something, because there's so many, you put on Spotify, you let the algorithm do its thing. You're going to hear so many things, so many different right. breakdowns. It's going to be exhausting. It's got to have something to kind of like ground you in a sense right. and remember. So. I think it's good. I'll be honest. I've never read Berserk, but I love all the From Software games, and I love a lot of things that have been influenced by it. Should I read it? Is it time? You definitely should read it. It is one of the best 
manga's ever written and, and drawn too. It's a masterpiece. It, it, it's not done like, yet, but yeah, there's like 30 volumes or something, right? There's quite a lot. Um, it is still continuing right now, um, slowly, but uh, the content uh, changed my life and it still continues okay. to change my life with the band. I think I so. got to check it out. It's time. Yes, definitely. Is is your um your first album, I think, or EP, whatever it was, uh, God Hand, was that a reference to the old PS2 game? No, it's actually a Berserk reference. Oh, it's, okay. It's the group of... Uh, evil beings that kind of oversee the the world and and the demon world as well okay well if you haven't played the ps2 game i i think you would like it it's kind of like it's sort of like a self-parody of like fist of the north star like super over the top okay, violent okay. you know go da, 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 and making their heads explode and stuff i think you'd I like love it. fist of the north star i love yeah, fist of the north star. another another classic you got to do a fist in the north star song i feel like the world is ready for that <laughs> I, you know what? A lot of people don't know what it is. Oh, I'm sure it's like. pretty obscure. It's uh, it's it's a big thing as far as numbers go, but the new generation doesn't really know about it because they haven't right. re- kind of rebooted it in a while. Right. So I think they should. It's also bad, <laughs> but it's in so like bad a cool it's good. Way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not it's if it, yeah it's not good. It's very old school, but it's fun. Um. So you were talking about the production earlier and kind of, you know, how, you know, that being one of the things that sets Brenda Sacrifice apart, which I totally agree with. Um, and in particular, I thought um, Between Death and Dreams to me was really cool because there's like almost these like pop elements, but it's still really filthy and it's super heavy, which is very hard to pull off without, you know, basically turning into butt rock. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, so Leo and I kind of actually come from the metalcore world. We we were in right. another band that was like a progressive metalcore band, and we love good hooks. We love good choruses and melody. And I mean, we also come from death metal too. But um, we wanted to find a way to write uh, a hook in a song that wasn't going to be off-putting or too abrasive kind of seamlessly transitioned in in a sense. And it's still pretty aggressive, I feel. Super Uh, heavy. But uh, it just, uh, we wanted to do a really melodic song, kind of inspired by like old In Flames from the 2000s and and a little bit of Broomy Horizon flair Mm -hmm. in there, Um, obviously with our own toolkit. And that's sort of what came about. And I think we'll probably make more songs like that, but we'll only use... The, the clean vocals if it calls for it we're not going to force it or anything like that so well when most people say the words that you said i'm like oh here comes their butt rock song <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but with you know they're like it's heavy but it's also melodic i'm like oh no it's gonna sound like breaking benjamin um but you know with you guys it it, it it's like super poppy in parts and then it's as heavy as anything has ever been in the other parts and to me, that's what makes it work is that it's not middle of the road. It's both extremes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, without darkness, there is, there's no light. Right. Right. Um, and I think the heavier parts end up sounding even heavier when you, when you have uh, a hook like that in the song. Right. So I think it's a really good dynamic to use. And I think, you know, it shouldn't be shunned so much. Sorry about the cat. Shunned so much. Never by apologize for the cat. <laughs> always welcome 
she'll be in and out. Yeah. Um, I think deathcore should be less scared of it because in fact, it makes your breakdowns heavier. I feel, mm-hmm. um, and it's just fun. It, it's, you can only hear so many fret ones and chugs right. before you're, you're just exhausted and, and bass drops, you know? Right. Um, right. I think it's good to change it up and not every song has to be like that, but you know, some melody is good to have in my opinion. Well, I feel like clean vocals and deathcore is almost this like this line that you're not allowed to cross. <laughs> you know, like oh, you can't do that. Oh, totally. Um, we released another song called Exodus uh, end of last year, and uh, that was the first song that really showcased some more clean vocals, and it's still pretty aggressive too. Um, but some of the people on Reddit were not having it; they were not excited about that. That has our heaviest breakdown we've ever written in the song too. Yeah. Well, my advice is um, whatever Reddit, it, not just in music, just anything in life in general, whatever Reddit su- suggests, do the exact opposite of that. <laughs> right. That's my advice. I think well, you're right about that. Your old band, it was really surprising. Um, I remembered you guys being around, but I hadn't listened to it in a while and I checked it out before this. And I was really surprised. Like, you almost sound like Kellen Quinn or something. It's like. <laughs> It very, very, very different, you know, from what you do in Brand of Sacrifice. I doubt I could sing that high now, but uh, yeah, it was that was just what I liked making at the time. I still enjoy that style of music, um, but I think it got to a point where it just wasn't really that fun for us to make anymore. There's so many notes, it's, it's so right technical. Um, so I think it was a breath of fresh air to just write something silly and heavy with brand of sacrifice and we have a lot of fun making this music we, we basically say a song is no good unless you laugh at the breakdown That's sort of <laughs> yeah. our, uh, our mentality with it so um yeah i mean i i love that making that kind of stuff but it, it definitely was um tough for some people to get into i think because they liked the guitar wankery and yeah. they're like, oh no, this this high singing, I can't can't stand it. Yeah, sort of. Uh, it was that kind of problem we had with it. So, um, love love making that stuff, but happy where I'm at now too. I thought the the vocals to me were the most interesting part of it. You know, just because it's different. Appreciate it. Well, on on that note, one thing I find interesting is that deathcore now is very focused on vocals. Um. But still, most of the writing is done by guitarists, and unless I'm mistaken, I think I read something that you know you'll you, you guys do the same thing where it's usually the guitarist will write something, and then you mm-hmm. record vocals over that. Have you ever thought about doing it the other way, and maybe you know approaching it like a pop artist would of of vocals first, and then writing around that? There's been a couple of times where we've written a hook first, um, the way that. Leo tends to write is he can't write a song unless he's showered first. So he'll go in the shower and hum out some stuff and think of riffs that way. Or I'll send him something I was humming, just like cleaning my house or something. And then we'll build a hook uh, from that. I think we're going to do that a little more with the, the record. Because mm-hmm. um, you're right. A lot of times you just get, here's the MP3. There you go, yeah. buddy. Do whatever you, know, you want. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, we'll definitely try a few different things with this record. I want this one to be 
like our magnum opus. We want like something that is who we are really and defining. And uh, so I think we want to try bringing in some new heads to, to the mix, some new producers, get some outlandish features from different genres. I'm going to, we're going to try a bunch of stuff with this. So I think people are ready for that. You know, I mean, it's like kind of everyone has been playing this game for the past several years of who can write the most absolutely filthy, disgusting breakdown and make dinosaur noises and all that stuff, <laughs> which is, is cool. Like, I like that. But I think we've kind of reached the end of the road for that. It's like, what more could you really do there? You're right. I think um, people are going to appreciate what's being said more, especially if it's a wider metal audience. Because in deathcore, people care less about lyrics. They care about the sounds. Right. But if right. you're trying to appeal to a larger audience, they want to know what you're talking about. And yep. so I think good songwriting is going to be the the differentiator. Yep. I think the bands that don't have good songwriting are going to go. Uh, unless they have a really charismatic frontman, then they can survive. But yep. um, I think big uh, good songwriting is going to be what's important. And and no more architects riffs, too. So it's got to go. <laughs> you heard it first. Doomsday riff, it's banned. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know what, I've I've said it before. I'm on the phone with Obama every day, and uh, and he told me a long time ago. He said, you know, I'm going to ban Doomsday Riffs, and I'm going to ban ska. Effective uh, <laughs> July 1st. You heard it here. I wonder what the band thinks of that. That people have been ripping them off for what seven years at this point. I, I asked him. Uh, I said, <laughs> if you had a dollar for. Everybody that's ripped off the doomsday roof, how rich would you be? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I would have paid my house off by now. I wouldn't have a mortgage. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, th I think people are ready for that. And, you know, to your point about people caring about. Um... Hey, everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week, I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. About what you're saying and why, I mean, I think Lorna Shore is a good example of that, like with The Pain Remains. You know, they had actual emotional depth to that in a way that a lot of bands honestly don't. And people obviously responded to that. They totally did. And they also gave you the monster noises, too. Yes. So you got a, you got the best of both worlds. So yep. I, I think that's a, a good display 
of where things can go and also having like a deathcore ballad song. Yeah. Um, that's, that's something that's awesome. And, and you don't see very often. Um, we did our, obviously between death and dreams is kind of something in that ballpark I'd say, but mm-hmm. with us, but I think you're going to see more of that kind of stuff um, moving forward. You might get a monster noise still here and there. <laughs> I think you got to stay true to the genre in a sense, yeah. but um, I think that's where we're headed now is, is good songwriting and uh but people are gonna lag it's gonna take a year at least yeah before all the other bands start doing it because there's still gonna be fret one tons of blasting kicks like lorna shore with the monster noise breakdowns that's probably another year that is my guess that stuff's great yeah it's great i like it too but i mean we have it as well but um i think that's i bet you this next lorna shore record is gonna be different than this one we had i mean my guess I I would think so. I mean, what are they gonna just do? Pain remains again, you know. I, I think I it's gonna think, be quite different. Yeah, that's I don't my, think that's, that's what they want to do. No, no, they don't. So, what does good songwriting mean to you? Good songwriting means that I okay. The first thing that I would would look for is what am I feeling when I've just turned the song on. Now the vocals hit. How do I feel about it? Is there a, an emotional connection happening? Do you have a good hook? Mm-hmm. Good hook is important. Um, now, as the song, take me on a ride at least once. I think you can have structure. I love having structure in a song. I think it's important, actually, um, for us at least. Not not if you're like a you know a Norma Jean style chaotic right. fan, but um, yes. you know. But uh, I think. Emotional connection, good hook, and at least one moment of you saying, oh, shit, I didn't realize it was going to go there. Mm-hmm. Only once. Only once mm-hmm. is fine. I think yep. that makes a good song and uh, has uh, replay value. So a hook, I, I've I've talked about this a million times. Metal, metal people are, always argue with me about it. I don't think a hook has to be vocals. I mean, there's things like, you know, no, Cowboys from Hell or Rain and Blood or something like that. It doesn't have to be. But it usually is, especially if you want to reach people, as you said before, that aren't sort of just the core, like, you know, um, the the core, like extreme metal fan. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about vocal hooks in particular? I think vocal hooks can, they can be sung, they can be screamed, they can be a chant. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think guitar can be a hook. Mm -hmm. I think if you have a good uh, lead on the guitar or like, something a melody that is memorable i think that could also be a, a hook or you can even combine them mm-hmm. um or electronics too um so i think i think you could do it a bunch of different ways but i think as far as effectiveness and connecting with a wide audience i think a vocal is going to be the main draw yeah that's the thing i always argue with metal people about like it doesn't have to be a vocal hook but it's just like it's almost like these people have some sort of resistance to the idea of vocals being important. And I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, it is guitar based music, but it's, that's one piece of the puzzle. Totally. Um, you know, I think everything comes together for the greater good, but at the end of the day, um, I think I'd rather listen to a human singing a melody or saying some words that matter to me, whether it's yeah. hardcore or metal. Um, and uh, 
have that. That will always stick. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. With me more. Um... You know, sometimes I'll go back to a song for like a, a main riff or something that I dug, but it's always vocals. Maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a vocalist, but. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think you are. I mean, and if you look at everybody's favorite bands, most of them, almost all of them had really strong vocals. They might also have great guitars and drummers and stuff, but, you know, Slipknot, Korn, Linkin Park, whatever, you know, you're yeah. wearing a Necrophages shirt. That's maybe an exception. Um but even there, they had pretty fucking hooky guitars for de for tech death. They did. They did. Totally. Um, and the fact that, you know, <laughs> he's able to play that stuff while doing vocals is right. incredible. Um, but you, but you're right. And and all those guys, I know exactly what they look like in my head. Yep. Yep. Um, I know exactly what they sound like in my head because they had that um, charisma and, and the voice that connected. Um I'm going to remember that way more than I remember drum tones or a yep. guitar riff. Um, so I think all the things come together for good. I think if you can have a good guitar riff and a good hook, then you're off to the races. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like either or, and, and maybe people misinterpret me. I'm not saying like guitars aren't, you know, riffs aren't important or anything like that. Um, but like 
why would you limit yourself to only being able to work with guitars in the context of creating hooks? Totally. Use all the tools, man. Yeah, they're all there. Um, I, I feel like, you know, obviously, well, I guess maybe it's probably, probably since COVID, I feel like is when deathcore as a genre sort of came to life again. Um, and I don't really know why, but I feel like, you know, maybe what, 2015 to 2019 or so, it was kind of at a low point, I think of just like, it just being a lot of like, kind of like, kind of nerdy, like dudes with beards and cargo shorts kind of thing. Um, and then in 2020, something happened and, you know, all, all these bands kind of had an inflection point, just like you did, like Lorna did. And a lot of new people, a lot of like women and stuff are into deathcore in a way that really hasn't been the case for a long time. And it feels like there's potential to do things that would have been unthinkable seven or eight years ago. I think you're totally right. And I think what made it kind of enticing uh, was people were just that people stopped playing the same suicide silence, thyroid is murder carnifex style deathcore and said you know fuck it i'm gonna throw that out the window i'm gonna have some of that stuff but now here's the symphonic aspects here's the electronic aspects here's some new vocal stuff you've never heard before you got all that at once so it was like whoa what is what is all this like this this is exciting production kind of changed a little bit it's not so raw which i do like obviously i think that's i mean that's part of why suicide silence sounds amazing the uh, off the floor raw yeah. sound that they have. But I think all of those things kind of came together for the modern bands and they took what those bands did well and sort of added some new flavor to the mix. And I think that's what you're seeing in all genres. People are getting influences from other places. You had Juice World, which had some pop punk influence added to mm-hmm. hip hop um, and, and emo. Um, so I think you're going to see that more with Deathcore. But now we're at the point where is this going to get bigger? It's I think it's reliant on having that uh, impact with the vocalists being characters that you remember yep. and a voice you remember. And they're saying something that matters to you. Yep. Yeah. If it doesn't happen. It's going to just be where it is now. This is the ceiling. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and, and I think the fact that there's... Um... The fact that there's women interested in deathcore to me is like, that's, that's important. You know, like women are half the planet. Like we yes. don't want it to just be a sausage party. Definitely. Um, I think it's important that you have people from the other thing that I'm seeing too, is not just women, but like more people of color mm-hmm. as well, which is, you know, when I grew up going to shows, I was probably one of the two, three people at my local venue that was of color. Um, but, uh, it is, you're, you're totally right. So many more women are involved and right at the front, they're in the pit. It's awesome. Um, the last tour we were just on with Lorna shore, there was tons of women there and they're super excited. So I love that. Yeah. It almost reminds me of like MySpace. you know, when you saw, you know, there was, there was a lot of fucking girls into this stuff back then. And like, it's not a coincidence. That's when it was at its peak. When they start leaving, you know that the genre is a problem. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, deathcore. I, th- I think, um, I think all the core scenes have an advantage in that. In my, and I would like to know what you think. Um, in my opinion, I think the you know the the quote unquote real metal scenes 
not the most open-minded. Don't not big fans of women or people who aren't white. Um, and and I I think that's much less of an issue in the core scenes. What what do you think about that? I think people are very set in their ways from the older generation, and you know there's things that I'm set in my ways about too. Um, I get it, but. But you can't be set in your ways about like that stuff. About that stuff, yeah. That's uh that's it's a line okay. that you don't want to cross. Yeah, for sure. Set it set in musical preferences is what I mean. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh um I think it's also generational too. Um, you know, a lot of people that are into core music, they're probably a millennial or yeah. they're gonna be a zoomer. Yep. And there's one thing I think is absolutely awesome is that the last few tours we've been playing. Uh, you getting kids, you know, that kind of look like the meme format with the curly hair uh-huh. where they get <laughs> yeah. white air force ones. Yeah. Yo dog, this is my first metal show ever, man. Right. And, and I'm like, I love that. This yeah. guy looks like he doesn't belong at the show, but I don't care. I'm, I'm excited. He's there. And looks like a Travis Scott fan. Exactly. That's, that's exactly who he is. And, uh, I think that's great because when, when I started going to shows that there was raccoon tails and, skinny girls jeans because the men's skinny jeans didn't exist yet yeah and, and it was like a, it was a culture of people that dressed and kind of lived a certain lifestyle uh or the hardcore kids with the camel shorts and whatnot yep. you know there's your metal heads those hardcore kids the scene kids that yep. was it now you're getting people that don't even know any about any of that you know which, which I is think amazing is i think it's tiktok personally yep. that's doing it yep I think you're right. And like, we should be thrilled about that because I know, you know, there's some people that don't like it if the Travis Scott kid shows up and doesn't know anything about this stuff. But like, we should all be thrilled about that because that's like the lifeblood of the scene. Yeah. You know, those new people, that's the, the most, like, that's the most precious thing. That's like oxygen. I I'm with you. I think, um, you know, and, when I started going to shows, I probably was that kid, you know, wearing the wrong clothes or whatever, right? wearing my wearing Jordans when I should be wearing the Vans, you know, but I think it's cool. And, um, people are just going to learn as they go to more shows too. They're going to learn about the culture. They're going to be excited about it. I think, uh, that means more money's exchanging hands. The bands are doing better. Venues are doing better. Everybody's happy. You know, uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, but you know, some people want to gatekeep and that's fine because they want to protect yeah. the genre or whatever, but I think it'll sort itself out. It's not going to turn into something that you didn't love, you know, just because a couple of kids from uh, different walks of life came to the show. So, I mean, we were all that kid, like you said, you know, yeah. um, we were all that kid at one point where you didn't know the quote unquote rules and, you know, people look down on someone for discovering this stuff from TikTok. Well, I discovered it from MTV. Like, how was that any different? You know? Yeah. It's just the, that was the context at the time and uh, the, the medium. So I, I think, you know, people can say what they want. The, the app has the best algorithm out of any of the social medias. It, it's such a useful tool. Yep. Um, if bands aren't using it, I don't know what world you're in right now. Cause you should be. Um, you see bands that, were relatively unknown a couple of years ago, absolutely skyrocketing like a sleep token or a bad omens mm-hmm. um, and being the biggest bands of the genre right now because of the the medium. So I think it's 
amazing. I, you know, I was playing Counter-Strike last night. Some kid um, was talking to me about Bad Omens. And he's like, Mm -hmm. doesn't know anything about chord music. He's like, yeah, I'm going to this Bad Omens concert. Oh, like he didn't know who you were or anything? He didn't know who I was. And I'm like, I told him who I was. And uh, he's like, wait a minute, I've seen your band on Spotify. Oh, nice. That's like, that's a good thing. And this kid's like totally unrelated to the scene at all. Like he's like a 20 year old Zoomer kid playing a video game, but he knows who Bad Omens is and there's a reason for that. So. Yeah. Like I, I, with that song in particular, um, the thing that made it really kind of click for me is there was some guy and I don't, I don't mean to make fun of him, but it was kind of funny, but he was using that song to like talk about his divorce and like oh trying to get custody of his kids, um, which was kind of funny. But but at the same time, I was like, like that means something. He's just this total normie. Looks like he was maybe like you know a military dad or something like that, mm-hmm. using this song to talk about his divorce in the same way as someone would have, you know, um, talked about like Three Days Grace or you know Three Doors Down or something like that twenty yeah. years ago. And it's like, okay, this is what we need. It is what we need, and it means something that that's happening more consistently. Um, I think it's it only goes up from here until there's like a TikTok ban or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which well, hopefully who knows? that never happens. <laughs> hopefully that never yeah. happens. I know it's actually banned in one state already. Actually, Montana. Yeah, Montana. Yeah, you can use it if you have the app, but you can't download it now. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I yeah, I I, I could. I think most likely nothing is going to happen. I think that they'll probably, you know, force them to have like an American data center or something like that. And they'll mm-hmm. call it a day. That's, that's my guess. Cause I don't think any politician wants to be the one who banned TikTok because then everyone's kids are going to be angry at them. Um, and I don't totally. think they want to do it. <laughs> you know, you don't want, you don't want to be the guy that took away everyone's favorite toy. And let's be real. Like, even their, uh, you know, subordinates and employees are going to be upset too because they're looking at it on their break. For sure, for sure, and it's a great tool for the politicians too. I mean, I, you can. I have a lot of uh, concerns about China too, but no matter how you want to look at it, the fact of the matter is, like you said, it's a great tool. It's the best algorithm. You know, my podcast clips. If I post them on Instagram, they'll get like a hundred views. On TikTok, they'll get twenty thousand. That it's totally true. They they show you what you want to see, and it's it's so intuitive. Uh, you watch one thing and you watch the whole video, then you're gonna get all that stuff consistently, um, unless you scroll past it. So it's it's just it's way smarter than the other ones. And I think the other ones they could be that smart, but there's so much advertiser revenue involved and Silicon well, Valley type stuff, and you know. Yeah, and I think TikTok's doing some shady stuff too. Um, for example, the first time I used it, okay, so my wife is Vietnamese, um, mm-hmm. and uh, she's also quite a bit younger than me. And the first time I opened TikTok, it was serving me content that was like twenty-three-year-old Vietnamese American girl comedy. I'm like, weird. how in the fuck did this app know? <laughs> and I happen to think it's funny because I get it because of my wife. But I'm like a 40-something white guy. Why are you... How in the fuck does TikTok know to serve me content about, like, Vietnamese Zoomer humor? You're right. There's probably something going on under the hood. 
yeah, that's that's not good. Um, I think one, they all do thing, that though. What's that? I, th I said I think they all do that though to a degree. Yeah, but TikTok does. I mean, ch the Chinese Chinese government does not give a fuck. Like I I've been to China like five times, and uh, anybody that's like been to China for like business travel has stories about this about like. You know, um, if you go to a factory, you come back, you know, to your hotel room and maybe like somebody went through your shit, you know, people have found cameras and stuff. I mean, it is shady as fuck. Ooh, that's not good. And yeah, so there's, there's something going on, but you know what? Nobody cares because the app is so good. They're like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about, speaking of the sort of Zoomer thing, is uh, your clothing brand, uh, Shibori Threads, which is really interesting to me. Um, and, and I feel like it really like it's there's this element of almost like hype beast culture mm -hmm. in the scene now, which I think is really cool because for the longest time it was, you know, just those raggedy dudes with beards and camo shorts. Um, tell me about that. Like, what is your vision for the brand and where did that come from? So it started off during COVID um, and us bands didn't know when the hell we were going to tour again. Oh, we got to keep these bands going. We got to get cash flow going yep. still somehow. So I thought it'd be a decent idea to kind of offer something that was limited. It would only be made once. Um, uh, sort of a streetwear drop style um, business model. Um, and the bands get the majority of the profit split. Um, so we just had a few of our friends, death deathcore bands at the beginning. And then we started pitching to metalcore bands. Now at this point, we've done like Gojira, we've done I Prevail. We've we actually even uh, have done a collaboration with From Software for Dark Souls. Oh wow! At this point, um, but that's where that's it started amazing. from. Um, it started just from uh, you know not knowing what was going to happen and trying to help some bands out. And um, as far as the vision goes, um, I'm really into sneaker culture. And I buy a lot of like the, the new drops and that's what I'm into. You know, I kind of have a little bit of a, an ear on the ground for streetwear and stuff like that. Um, I, I noticed that with brand of sacrifice, that tie dye stuff was always selling the best, especially the most ridiculous and uh -huh. crazy color stuff. Um, and that's, I think you're right. You mentioned the, the zoomers, but, uh, it seems like the millennials are into it too. Uh, -huh. uh but, uh, I think, that is very different for metal merch to be that flashy. Usually you get yeah. your, your black t-shirts and hoodies. Um, and that's kind of where it ends there. Um, so I, I was a kid that collected Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh and played pogs and did all that stuff. I always thought that was fun. So I think it's cool to have something that, you know, especially with tie dye, no two are actually the same. So you have something that actually means something that you're, you're buying and you know, you're supporting your favorite band in that sense and uh nobody else is really going to be able to get that once the drop is over uh easily so do you think you're uh, always uh, going to stick with tie-dye or are you going to evolve that or what do you think i think it's always going to be sort of the bread and butter but i do have some ideas i actually want to start producing some sneakers so i've been okay. prototyping some stuff um i think that would be really cool I want to get into doing some like pants as well, jeans, cargos. Uh, we already do joggers at the moment, but it's the kind of tie dye style. 
So I think we'll do a bunch of different things, but I think it's always going to be slightly different than the stuff you can find easily from other bands or uh, whatnot. But I think uh, we're going to continue working with metal bands. That's the bread and butter. But I we've got a bunch of other licenses we're working on. Uh, one being one of the biggest fighting games in history, which I'm very okay. excited about. Uh, okay. I won't say exactly the game, but uh-huh. um, so that's uh, that's where we're going to continue to go. And I hope uh, it's dead or alive. You got to <laughs> that's a, that's a get classic. Some, some jiggle stuff in there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you never. I think that pop off these days. People people like yeah. that that vibe. So. Yeah, well, or maybe like uh, Amir Jordans. I feel like that would work. Okay, okay. You just, you got to get the, I'll tell you what, here's the billion dollar idea. Um, You got to make, so like I've noticed every single girl under the age of like 30 wears like white Air Force Ones, mm-hmm. like all of them. Get they something do. that those girls will buy and then you can retire. You're right. That's crazy. The Air Force One is the most purchased shoe in history. I believe it because they've been making them for what thirty years. Yeah, specifically the the white low. Yeah. Yeah. So, hundred bucks. You know, it's tried and tested. Makes you a little bit taller if you're a guy. Because the big sole. Why not? You know, was it was it Kylie Jenner that made those cool for girls? I don't. I don't know. I just started seeing them like absolutely everywhere maybe in like 2017 or something i actually have no idea who made them cool but i mean i they were big when i was growing up in high school but it was the mids with the strap right right because they had that nelly song air force ones right at the time uh and i like those ones better i got a pair of the 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 mids but right i mean now the kids like the lows for everything yeah. they like the low yeah. dunks the panda dunks they like all that kind of stuff right right well, it's it's interesting. You mentioned sort of the flashy merch. You know, for years, it's like the only thing that would sell is, like you said, the black shirt with a white logo. And I feel like deathcore merch in particular just all of a sudden kind of like flipped and like people liked all the crazy, flashy cyberpunk type shit, you know, all the bright yeah. green and purple and that kind of thing. It's pretty cool to see. It's funny because we actually... When we, when we tour, we have barely have anything that's black. It's only mm-hmm. the t-shirts that we have, and they're always like crazy colorful designs. But uh, all our hoodies, uh, long sleeves are never black. Mm. So, and we find that, you know, it's statistically the better option for us. And I, I just prefer color anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's always nice to just see something. I'm, I'm always always happy when I see that people want something like fresh and new and different. It makes me happy. Likewise. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I will let you go. Thank you very much for your time. And, Thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully I can uh, catch you guys when you come through Seattle one of these days. Sounds good. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. 
So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.